We're going to look at, let's look at, if you would, Galatians chapter number 2. We're going to read a few verses and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we'll dive into things together this morning. Galatians chapter number 2, look with you, if you would, at verse number 11. The Bible says this, But when Peter was come to Antioch, stood him to the face. These may sound familiar, it's because we've been looking at them the last couple of weeks. Because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, and he did eat with the Gentiles, he they were come. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. He fear, feared the religious Jews, the Bible says. The other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas was carried away with their, their dissimulation, their hypocrisy, he says. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. These last couple of weeks, we've been looking and, and we've seen the confrontation between Peter and Paul. And we saw the way uh, that, that, that Paul responded to Peter last week as Peter was cowering away from his stance for the gospel. We saw how Paul confronted him in a, in a loving manner, but, but, but after he confronted him privately, we, he had to deal with this publicly because it was doing great damage to the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at exactly what it was that he was taking a stand for and why it was so important. I'm looking forward to it this morning. Let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help and then we're going to dive into this together today. Father, thank you for this time. I pray now that you would speak to our hearts. God, give us what we need from your word, not what we want. I pray, God, for each person that's here that we'd have open ears, open hearts to hear from your word. I pray that you would bind the devil and his demons, Lord, to stop stealing away the seed of Your Word from finding good soil in our hearts. I pray each person that's here would be able to receive Your Word today, and today that lives and eternity would be changed because of what we're looking at. I look forward to what You're going to do, Lord. Help me to only say what You want me to say, to say it the way You want me to say it. And I pray that everything's done will bring glory to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, as I mentioned, we saw why this was so important. Why this confrontation had to take place. It took place because in Galatians chapter number 2, verse 14, Paul says that when he saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, he said, listen, there's something more important in my comfort than your comfort, than us just getting along. He said, listen, the gospel is too important. This was a situation that Paul was recording for the church at Galatia. He had told them back at verse number 5, to whom he gave place by subjection, not for one hour. Why? He, he wasn't going to give any place to these people that were preaching something that was different than the true gospel. Why? But the truth of the gospel might continue with you. It was so important to him. He said, listen, I'm not going to allow anybody to stand up and say something or preach something that contradicts the true gospel of Christ. He wasn't interested in giving one second to someone who was preaching a gospel that contradicted the true gospel, no matter who it was, and that included the pillar of the faith, Peter. What Paul then begins to dive into in these next couple of verses that we're going to look at this morning would really 
theme of his writings. In fact, if you study all of the writings of the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk, more books than anybody else in the New Testament, you will find a common theme that streamed throughout them. This matter of dealing with the true gospel versus the works of the law. It was his passion here in the book of Galatians, and it became his theme throughout all of his books that he would write. For the very first time in his writings that Paul, as he dives into this book of Galatians, for the very first time, the very first book that he would write, he dives into the justification of the believer and how it isn't based on our works or the keeping of the Old Testament law in faith. You know, everywhere that you go today and in, in, in every place that you find, every city, find religion. Religion's all over the place. Uh, it, 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 you can find it in, in places of worship and uh, across small towns all around the mountain northwest. You can certainly find religion in all the larger towns and the larger cities. The big cities of Montana are, infuriate, are, are infiltrated with religion. There's denominations of every letter of the alphabet that you could go through and you could look at. And, we, and more and more are, are coming on the scene week after and month after month, and even here in Whitehall, you can find a number of religious institutions that go by various names where you can learn all sorts of diverse things. But this morning, I am here to tell you dogmatically that there are only two religions. I know you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Wait a second, Kyle, I could tell you of a lot more than just two religions. No, 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 friend, I'm telling you, we can lump them all into two religions. There aren't many. There are just two. It's the reality that Paul dealt with in his day, and it's the subject that we are going to deal with this morning. And by the end of the service, I hope your heart is settled just which way you should go in your life in regards to your eternity, because it all depends on which religion you're going to choose. One of the two. So option number one is the religion of works. The religion of works. This is where the bulk of them fall into, and that was the case in Paul's day. Paul's actions had given, or excuse me, Peter's actions had given credence to the religious Jewish leaders who firmly held to salvation by the Old Testament law. Now listen, there were 613 Old Testament laws. Most people that there's only ten. We think of the Ten Commandments, right? And we think that's where it ends. But that's just the beginning. There were actually 613 laws that the religious Jews were supposed to keep. But listen, it went beyond that. Because those religious Jews, they looked at it and said, well listen, maybe that's not good enough. So we need to add to those 613 Jewish laws and put more to it. That's what we're dealing with here. We talked about it last time. The real issue that we found here was that they were concerned with Peter eating with the Gentiles. That wasn't one of the laws. It was one of the things that they added to the laws. And listen, there were hundreds of these. Sometimes thousands of these that they would add to the traditional Old Testament laws, the Levitical Old Testament laws that you could find. But the Gentiles had no such system. 
Paul would eventually write about this over in, the, in Romans chapter number 2, verse number 14. He says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are law unto themselves. You see, the Gentiles, they, they hadn't been given the Old Testament law like the Jews, and thus they weren't bound by it. That being said, we, we see the reality that every person, even without the Bible, knows that there must be a God. Because the Gentiles have the law, often followed the teachings contained within the law. That's just the reality that we find. That, that's why if you were to go to a tribe in Africa or, or, or a tribe in Fiji or maybe Vanuatu, some of these places where, where maybe a missionary has never been to, you could go to them and there would be certain laws that are in place that follow the biblical laws. Even though they've never had the Bible. They'd have things like, you can't steal from other people. You, you can't take the chief's wife, right, uh, for your own. Why? Because God wrote in their hearts that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. Romans chapter number 2, verse number 15, the very next verse after he talks about how the Gentiles didn't have a law, he says, we do have this law, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also. Witness their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. He says, listen, they have the law written in their hearts. Their conscience knows that there's right, that there's wrong. They consciously know that there is a higher power, that there is a God. See, what's so interesting about these is that there are people that exist today that claim to be atheists. They claim that they don't believe in God. You know what's funny about it? God says He doesn't believe in them. That's, a, that's just the truth. God says, listen, I don't believe atheists exist. Why? Because He says, listen, you are naturally born with the knowledge that there is a God, with that there is a Creator. It is written on your heart. You know that there is a right, that there is a wrong. Every person is born with that knowledge. You have to be taught that there isn't one. Here in Galatians, Paul was dealing with a people that believed that there was a God, but they believed the way to Him was by keeping the law. So Paul confronts Peter in verse 14. He looks at him and he says there, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He looks at him and he says, Peter, if you say that you believe that anyone can receive the gospel, and you as a Jew have spent time eating with the Gentiles, why are you now acting like the same Gentiles have to become like the Jews? He says, it doesn't make sense. I thought we were all the same under Christ, under the gospel. Why are you making it seem that they need to follow the Old Testament law to be, don't miss it, this word's important, to be justified. Justified. Justified is an important word that you find in the writings of Paul specifically. In fact, he hammers it down in this passage and throughout the book of Galatians. What, what does this word mean? It's so important that we understand what the word justified literally means to be declared righteous. Declared righteous. I, I heard someone say it this way. It's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. 
Paul says to Peter, you're acting like it is by keeping the law that you can be declared righteous. You're following the religion of works. Here recently, I had the opportunity, I was speaking at a, in a and, and someone told me, they said that they despised organized religion. And I looked at them and I said, me too. I mean, like we're on the same page. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't like it either. You see, there's going to be more people that spend eternity in a lake of fire because of organized religion than just about anything else. Why? Because religion says, do these things and you will be justified. It's the exact same thing Paul was dealing with here in Galatians. And the truth is this. Listen, we want religion. Do you know that? In our conscience, that's what we want. We want religion. Someone here saying, no, I don't want religion. But the reality is, we really do. Why? Because we like checklists. There are two types of grocery shoppers. The list shoppers and the impulse shoppers. And God usually puts the two of them together, all right? That's usually the way that that works. When Tressa and I go to the store, she always wants to have a list. She wants to sit down before we go and make a list of the things that we need. In fact, just here recently, we downloaded an app on our phone because we were going to meal plan and meal prep. And, and we had, so we, not only do we have to figure out all the, 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 the food that we were going to eat during the week for every meal, we had to figure out the ingredients that we needed to make those foods. It was, it was awful. And so you know, we had to go through. And, and what we were doing, we were making this list of things. And, and why? It's, it's good. It really is. It's good to make make lists whenever you're going shopping. Why? It helps save money, right? It does. It, it, it can make sure that you don't miss anything. It, it can even save time. But I'm an impulse shopper, alright? So that means I'm constantly asking myself as we're pushing the cart around, what sounds good to me right now? You know, what looks good? Uh, we're walking through Costco and, and I see things looks good and so I put it in my cart. They, they actually made the sample people for, for people like me. Alright? That's, that's why. Because I could go over and pick up a sample and eat it and say, ooh, that's good. We should buy that right now. And Treasure says it's not on the list. So I say, but it's on my list. And so, you know, and that's, that's the way that, that that works. We want to we do those things. Uh, the truth is this. Uh, 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 sugar cereal was not made because of list people. It was made because of impulse shoppers. That's just the reality. Because if you actually sit down and read the ingredients and what goes into sugar cereal, you'd never buy it. But when you're walking down the aisle, you look at it, listen, it looks a lot better than the unflavored wheat puff, all right? It's just delicious. And so that's why the sugar cereal is made for the impulse buyer. You see, we like lists. People like lists. Some people do like it more than others. But when it comes to big things, things that are bigger than just shopping for groceries, we want lists. It's more important like, like if you were going to have a surgery. I've had a couple of surgeries. Listen, I want the doctor, the surgeon that's doing my surgery, I want him to have a list of things that he's going to do. All right, I want him to have a, an order that he's going to go through and do things. I don't want him just walking in and saying, hey, let's see what happens. You know, Let's just, uh, let's just take out whatever comes up. You know, I, I don't want him doing that. And I don't want him getting to the end and being like me when I assemble a crib and say, man, look at these extra parts that we have left over. All right, We don't want that. We want a list of this is what I'm going to do so when at the end it's it, it works. So we, we like lists. And, and how much more important is our eternity? I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that. 
And so we like a list when it comes to eternity. We like to be able to check off the boxes. And so we're drawn to religion. Because religion tells us, listen, there are various things that you can do to have eternal life. Across pretty much all religion, there's a requirement to live an honest life. I, I need to be a good person, right? That's, that's a common one. Uh, there's, there's various other boxes. Some, most you have to attend a place of worship with. Most would say, while you're attending that place of worship, you probably have to give them some money, all right? That, that's usually part of it. Uh, some add things to the, on top of that, like you should be baptized and, and, and you need to eat and drink certain things. And most would say you have to do something to pay for the wrongs that you have done. And oftentimes, it's usually tied into the other things that we've already mentioned. And the truth is, we like the list. We want them. Because if we can check off boxes, then we will know that we have done the things required to gain access to eternal life. But here's the problem. Same problem that Paul had in his day. Which list is right? Which religion has it correct? In the correct list. So what happens? We end up doing just what the religious Jews were doing and we just keep adding as many things as we can onto it to make sure that we're covering all of our boxes and checking off all of the list because we don't want to miss something. Reality is we sound a lot like the people that Paul addressed on that day in Acts 17, Mars Hill, there in Athens. He's walking through, and and as he's walking through, he's looking around, and there are altars all over the place. Altars to this God, and 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 this God. To to everything that you could come up with, they had altars for. I mean, altars to to, to the God of the sun, and the rain, and the moon, and the stars, and the the, the ground, and the the ground below the ground. And I mean, they had had gods for for everything. The God of love, and the God of peace, and the God of of, of all these different things. I mean, just everything. Thing. I mean, if you, if you had a problem, if you, if you, you had a, a problem up top, you'd go to the, the, the prophet that gave you hair, right? You know, the, the altar that gave you hair, right? And, and you go to them, you talk to them and, and pray to them, and maybe you'd get some hair on top. You know, I mean, they, they had altars to everything that you could imagine. And as Paul walked through, listen, these people were, were religious. Paul had another word for them. He said, you're superstitious. That's what he said. Alters everything, and, and they were concerned they didn't want to miss one, that they created an altar, and on its title were written the words, the unknown God. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, and Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. He says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Said you made this one just in case you missed one. He says, Whom therefore you ignorantly ignore. He says, He's the one that I declare unto you. You you are trying to check all your boxes to make sure you complete all of your lists. You're so religious, but you missed what really matters. And this is the truth for so many today, possibly even in Whitehall Baptist Church this morning. You may be here because you're checking off the box. Because church is something that most churches tell you that you're supposed to do. And if I want to get to heaven, I need to make sure I'm there. So 
checking off the box. Religion demands it. So you make it a part of your life. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what house of worship you walked into this morning. If you're relying on your works and religion to get you to heaven, every religion will lead you to the same place. A very real lake of fire for all of eternity. Isaiah 64 verse number 6 tells us, But we are all an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses, our good works, are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. See, this is interesting because so many times people rely on their good works to get them to heaven. The good things that they can do to get to heaven. But God says, listen, all of your good things that you are putting, and you said, okay, here's the scale, and if my good outweighs my bad, then I'll get to heaven. And God says, listen, all the good that you think is going to get you to heaven is actually over here because it can't get you there, and there's no way you're going to outweigh the other side. The Bible says that they're an unclean thing. They're like filthy rags. Sometimes I like to share what exactly that was because they knew exactly what he was talking about, about filthy rags. Back in that time, it's, it's still a, a, a disease today. It's not as, like it was back then. There was a disease called leprosy. The, this leprosy would spread on the skins. It was very visual. In fact, if somebody had leprosy, They were supposed to remove themselves from society. And if anybody started to come near them, they had to cry cry out, unclean, unclean. It was an unclean thing. What happened is they would develop boils on their skin. Those boils would, would burst and they would take rags to wipe them. And then they'd cast them aside. He says, all your good works that you could do, you know what they are? Like an unclean thing, they're just filthy wrecks. In Romans chapter number 3, verse number 10, the Bible says it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. See, it doesn't matter how pretty and polished you may appear at the end of the day, you are still a sinner. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said it this way three times in verse number 16 here in Galatians chapter number 2. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. A little bit further, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. At the end, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It doesn't get much more clear. He says, listen, that's not the way. It doesn't work. Works don't work. When it comes to getting to heaven. Verse number 15, he tells Peter, we, we are, are Jews, not Gentiles. We know that this is the truth. And Paul echoes this thought again over in Romans chapter number 3, verse number 20. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, he makes abundantly clear one of the primary purposes of the law was to show just how broken you and I are. Not to give us a checklist so that we can obtain eternal life. Friend, any religion that begins in the first person to obtain eternal life is based in works and leads to the same destination. You see, if you begin with the, if the answer to the question of how are you going to get to heaven begins with I will do or I did or I am going to, it's the wrong answer. It leads to the same place 
That's option number one. A religion of works. So that brings us to option number two, and really this is the heart of what Paul is trying to get across. Option number two is a relationship of faith. Relationship of faith. That same verse, verse number 16. Knowing that that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Listen, it's not a religion of works. How? But by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, declared righteous by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, Paul makes things abundantly clear here in verse 16. Three times in one verse he states and restates, it's not by your works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will say it again later in chapter number 3. He says in verse number 24, where Therefore, the law was your schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It was the way to tell you that you were wrong and you needed to get things right. Why? That you might be justified not by works, but by faith. It was the law that brought us to the realization that we needed Him. Friend, if we only had ten commandments, the reality is we would fall short just with those. Let's be honest this morning. If I actually asked you to recite the ten commandments, how many of you could actually do it? Exactly, not very many. And if that's how you're going to get to heaven, you're in big trouble. (laughs) But the problem is there's not just 10, there's 613 of them. You know what what, what that's actually set there to do? To show to you just how impossible it is for you to do it on your own. It's impossible. James 2.10 tells us, listen, whosoever keeps the whole law And yet you offend in one point. You are guilty of all. You say, Kyle, you're telling me if I kept 612 of the 613 commandments, but I broke one of them, just one of them, I'm guilty of the whole thing? That's what the Bible says. You know what it means? We ain't got a chance. There's no salvation found in keeping of the law or earning God's favor by being good enough with your works. This is what the religious Jews couldn't wrap their minds around. And it's what most people struggle to understand today. We think there must be some amount of good that we can do to obtain eternal life. Man, if I just join the right church, if I just do the right things, then it'll be enough. There's 613 reasons why it won't. Very rarely, very rarely, do we find a person that looks at this and right away they see it and they say, oh, that just makes sense. Why? Because in our human nature, relationships are transactional. If I do this, then you will owe me this. Almost never is, is no strings truly attached. All right, that's, that's what we think. If I do this, then you will do this in our marriage relationship. If I do this for you, then you will do this for me. With our children, listen, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. That's, that's how our relationship, with our boss, the boss says, listen, if you do this, I will give you this pay. Every relationship is transactional. So when it comes to God, we just think it must be the same. If I do this for him, then he'll do this for me. And God says, that's not how it works. Romans 4.4 4. 
Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. God, if I do these things, then you owe me. That's what it's saying. It's of debt. But to him that worketh not. But listen, but believeth on him that justifieth, there it is again, declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, friend, the eternal life that is offered to you and to me is not obtained by any good works that we can do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes it clear. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus 3, verse number 5, he says, It's not by works of righteousness, good works, we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing, regeneration, the re- renewing of the Holy Ghost. It, no, Romans chapter number 6, 23 tells us the wage of our sin is death. But listen, the gift of God, the gift, a gift that's undeserved, a gift that's unearnable, a gift that you cannot get by merit, a gift that's free through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul was striving to get through to those Galatian believers through this example of Peter and the Gentile believers at Antioch is there's only one gospel. And that gospel only came through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. It couldn't accomplish. The law could not forgive you. It could not justify you. But God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Uh, the Bible tells us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. He says, listen, the law, it, you can't do it, but I'll tell you who fulfilled the whole law. Jesus Christ. The only one who kept all 613 perfectly and then died on the cross for you. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to it. Here pretty soon, we're going to get over to chapter number three. It's going to be great, all right? It might be, you know, two months from now, but we're going to get there, all right? And when we get there, we're going to look at the promise that God made to Abraham and how it passes down to us and just how cool it is that the reality is this. It wasn't by anything that Abraham did. The promise was made because God and Jesus Christ made a binding agreement. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Do you know what he's telling us here today? Friend, you can't get to heaven based on your own righteousness, on your good works. There's only one way, and it's through what Jesus Christ did for you. Friend, this morning I asked you simply, what are you counting on to get you to heaven? How are you going to get there? What are you doing to get there? This is the the service where we have some music that plays in the background. It gets real emotional. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. What are you counting on to get you to heaven? How are, how, how are you going to get there? Absolutely, that's the only answer. But I heard about a guy that found a, a golden lamp in the sand. And such is the case, he rubbed the golden lamp and a genie popped out. And just as normal, the genie presented him with three wishes, anything that he could want. Naturally, the man made the same wish that pretty much everybody would make. He wished to be the richest man who had ever lived. And with a wave of the hand, the genie made it happen. He then asked for good health and and long life. And once again, just with the waving of his hand, the man healed of all ailments. He felt stronger than he'd ever felt. It was his final wish. 
This man sat and thought about it for a second, and man, there was something that came to his mind he'd always wanted. He'd always wanted to go to Hawaii. But he was scared to fly, and being on a boat on the ocean made him seasick. So he asked for a bridge to be built to Hawaii. Jeannie responded to the man. That would be an enormous undertaking. The pillars would have to go down to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. The concrete and the steel required would be an incredible amount of materials. It would exhaust the earthly resources. Surely there must be something else that you want. The man thought for a few moments. Finally, he was settled. I would like to understand the mind of my wife. Want to know how she thinks, why she makes the decisions that she makes. I want to truly know where she wants to eat because I don't care isn't true. What does she truly want so I don't have to hear every anymore? With that, the genie began to wave his hand once again. And he asked the man, Do you want that bridge with two lanes four? <laughs> yeah. If you want to go to Hawaii, there's only so many ways to get there. You can't just do it your way. You can have the shiniest, fastest car there is, but it isn't going to get you to Hawaii. No, you have to get on the boat or you have to get on the plane. And friend, there's only one way to get to heaven. And if you're depending on the religion of works according to the Word of God, you won't make it there. Some of the saddest verses in the Bible are in Matthew chapter number 7. Jesus is speaking and He says this in verse number 21, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of My Father does it God's way, which is in heaven. She says, many, and this is, this is so sad, many will say unto Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. He says, listen, there's going to be many that are going to stand before God one day, and they're going to say, man, God, don't you understand? I went to church, and God, I gave money, and God, I was a good person, and God, I did all the requirements that my church told me that I had to do, and that the preacher said that I had to do to gain eternal life. And God, that's what I did. It says, and then I will profess unto them, but I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, friend, there's a lot of people that say, well, yeah, I believe in God. But the real question is, does he know you? On that day, it's not going to be, hey, raise your hand if you're saved. It's going to be, God, will you raise your hand that you know them? And friend, if you think you're going to get there based on what you do, I'm just telling you, you're in option number one and you're following a religion of works. And the Bible tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
As we wrap up this morning, I want to be crystal clear to everyone that's here today. When you walk out the doors of this church this morning, I want it to be clear in each and every heart. If you are relying on a religion of works to get you to heaven, you are on the road to a as I'm standing here today, one day you will stand before Christ, and on that day, if you've been relying on your works, you will be condemned for all of eternity. There is no escape at that point. It will be too late. So can I encourage you to trust Christ and put your faith in Christ this morning so that you can be justified before Him. Kyle, how do I do that? The Bible tells us that if you call upon the name of the Lord, Thou shalt be saved. What's that look like? It, it, it looks like finally realizing, <laughs> I can't do it on my own. God, I know there's a payment that has to be paid for sin. That payment's an eternity in a lake of fire. God, I can't do it on my own. I'm trusting in what you already did for me. Will you forgive me for my sins? So the Bible says that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for you. To pay for your sins. You don't have to pay for it yourself. It's already been paid for. This morning you just have to receive that gift of eternal life. You can do it right in your seat this morning, and I'd encourage you to do it if you've never done it. And pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I've been trying to do it on my own. God, will you forgive me for my sins? I'm putting my full faith and trust in you and you alone. Friend, if you're here today and you have made that decision, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ before, I've got great news. You don't ever have to do it again. The Bible tells us that He he seals us, that He keeps us by His own power. You cannot lose it. You are preserved forever to spend eternity with Him. Such a blessing. He's so good that He promises when you put your trust in Christ that you have eternal life, everlasting life. And I've said it before, I'm not real smart, but I know this, everlasting means that it lasts forever. You can't lose it. So my question to you this morning is why are you so focused on the trivial parts of the Christian life and so unconcerned with the one thing that truly matters? Telling others about how they can have everlasting life. I hope this morning that we see the simplicity of the gospel and it will move us to accept Him and then to tell others about Him. Because that's what Paul was doing in his life. And I hope that's what we'll do here at Whitehall Baptist Church as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your word, to be able to study the scriptures together. I pray this morning that you'd help us in our hearts, in our minds, Lord, to turn our attention to you right now. And God, if somebody is here this morning and they're not saved, I pray they'd get that settled. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. And basically what this is at the end of the service is an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord in your heart.
This isn't some weird, funny thing. No, this is a chance for you to take what you've heard and to ask yourself and to ask the Lord, God, am I where I'm supposed to be with you? Have I accepted you as my Savior? If I haven't, God, right now I want to accept you as my Savior. God, if I have accepted you as my Savior, God, would you give me the boldness to tell others about it? It's worth standing for. And I hope and pray that we'll do just that. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together as the music plays. If God's spoken to your heart, I'd encourage you to respond to Him this morning. Right where you're seated, you're welcome to come to an altar, but I'd encourage you to respond to Him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do it right where you are this morning. You can pray right now. God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that there's a payment for sin. I've been trying to do it.